coming to you live from the Haunted Mansion. It's the Movie Change-Up Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jill Fricky, joined by my co-host, Tristan Mayer. Uh, if you haven't seen this show before, it's our Disney Plus Weekly Review, where every week we review what has dropped on Disney Plus this past week. Uh, we kind of keep it more for the general audience, so, you know, you have Disney Plus, you're not sure what to watch. Uh, we'll point you in the right direction. We try to watch as much as we can and let you know what's good, what's bad, and what's maybe for particular audiences. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, the season finale of What If, going to be talking some Doogie Kame Aloha, uh, obviously talk some Muppets Haunted Mansion, which dropped on Friday, which was uh, one I had to sneak in quick, uh, Gal Gadot uh, docu-series dropped we have another uh nasa docuseries the fauci documentary dropped and we'll be talking about that and then we'll wrap it all up with our phantom of the megaplex rewind that i believe tristan watched for the first time i haven't seen it in a while but i grew up with it saw it a bunch of times as a kid tristan what were your thoughts on the disney plus drops this week yeah pretty good week overall we had a live watch of what if so you can get our immediate thoughts on that finale if you uh saw that I assume you know our general thoughts, but it'll be fun to get some detail, especially as over the last few days as I've, I've thought about it and it, I've kind of come to some some differing thoughts maybe than what I had when I initially watched, so that'll be a fun discussion. I am also can't wait for Haunted Mansion. You know, I love my, my horror movies. It's my kind of month this month, so I saw you dressed for the occasion, Joe. Yeah, you ready for Halloween. The, Where's the, your party? festivity? Where's your festival? You know, I got it all around me, Joe. I don't gotta, I don't gotta dress myself up. I, the, the party is around me here. You know, I got okay. killer clowns behind me. If you can't see, I have all kinds of posters. Is that the I original have Suspiria Suspiria? on the one side. Yeah. It is, it is. I have the Exorcist above my head. I've got Split. My okay. Walking Dead posters falling off the wall. All kinds of posters back there. All right, and uh, let's get started. First off, uh, we have. Uh, the What If season finale. What if the Watcher broke his oath? And that's uh, basically in a certain universe. Uh, Ultron got the Infinity Stones. And had, you know, we saw in the previous episode, Ultron is jumping from universe to universe, taking over. And the Watcher's like, this could end existence in all of the universe and the multiverse as we know it. I have to put a stop to it. And he goes around picking up heroes from various universes. Uh, plus one... Uh, that was supposed to be in this season uh, that apparently I didn't know but w- while we were watching it, but I found out after doing some research later, uh, one of the episodes that was supposed to be in season one, for whatever reason, didn't get done in time. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it was pushed to season two, and that is uh, the episode that we got the Gamora from that apparently had beaten Thanos. Uh, which I had misunderstood as we were watching it and assumed that they were from the same episode where Tony teamed up with Killmonger, but apparently that's not the case. Anyways, so uh, the Watcher teams up these characters from the various uh, episodes that we've watched to fight this version of Ultron and to stop him from essentially destroying all of the multiverses. Tristan, you said your opinion changed on this episode. I liked it. I've only seen it. Uh, during our watch along, which is live on YouTube and on Twitch, that you can watch right now, uh, how did your opinion change? What do, do you like it more? Like it less? Well, I will say I still mostly watched very positive on the episode. 
I think it has some good spectacle and some good kind of fun, especially in the action sequences it delivered on the visuals. And we mentioned in the live watch that there's kind of these like wallpaper level moments where you're like, okay, I can screenshot that and like keep that forever among like the icon iconic images of Marvel. So there's definitely some there. And I do think it felt like a culmination kind of of this whole entire season. Like you said, it brought together all of the episodes one way, one way or another and, if an episode came through in the season where we thought, oh, I don't know if this was worth our time, it kind of felt like it was in the end because even if it was just for a scene or a moment, it, it came together and felt like, okay, it wasn't a complete waste to watch the Thor party episode because he gave that Viva Las Vegas line and, you know, like that was the version of Thor we got in our team up and that kind of was like the setup for Ultron. So it made everything kind of matter in, in a way that I thought was, was positive. But I also thought that it kind of felt like a bit of a dud to the end. It felt like they were building up this multiverse, building up the what if, and the question of what if, the potential of what if, and then the finale was essentially everything that we thought it was going to be. It was the characters we already know coming together for a fight, and uh, it was fun to see, it was, but it did remind me a bit of the Avengers, the uh, original movie, where it was it was kind of the culmination of what, everything that was built up, you know, the Easter eggs paying off, but not necessarily a big step forward for the overall story. You know, I, I would have maybe liked a couple surprises here. Maybe a big a mic drop moment here where some kind of unexpected character arrives, a bit of a surprise here and there. It felt a bit safe for me, but overall the visual spectacle of it was just really fun to watch. And it, it definitely, we'll talk about how it ranks overall in the series for the, the series as a whole for me, but I think as a single finale, it was pretty fulfilling for the action. I just it kind of left me wanting a, a one or two extra notes of surprise or little little notes of cool here and there. Yeah, I understand that. I think for me, my expectations just weren't very high even going into the first episode of the show. And uh, to me, it just definitely exceeded my expectations. I like the idea of them all, like these characters, even though it was kind of an anthology show, all of the characters teaming up at the end to fight a big villain uh, was something I really liked. And I thought even though all of the stories were very different, that all of the stories connected well at the end. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask as you were talking is you say like, oh, there wasn't like that big impactful moment. Would seeing like this version of Captain Carter appear later on in live action or like this version of Thor, this version of Black Panther, would those would those characters appearing later on change any of that for you or would it still be the same? It would feel like a big moment in that movie. Like if I'm watching Dr. Strange and Captain Carter shows up, I'm going to be like, Oh cool. That's Captain Carter. I recognize that character. But for me, I, I think there's a lot of potential with what if to introduce something new. And like when Dr. Strange pulls out that final portal and you're like, Oh, here's the portal that's going to like change the game to save them against Ultron. And you think, who's it going to be? And then it's just, uh, Scarlet Witch zombie. We've already seen that. Like that, it's a reveal that's happened already. <laughs> like, imagine that portal opens up and then out comes like Ms. Marvel and and Haley Seinfeld animated version. Like alternate characters, yeah. sure. But like, what if it was like all OP... surprise? Here's the character that you're about to see in like a couple of weeks. You know, it's not like you're revealing something, but here's a character you you guys already are going to be seeing soon. Something like that. Some kind of oh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that character or that twist or that reveal. Yeah, what if, like, OP, like, Shang-Chi just showed up and, like, 
you know, this brand new character. That would be awesome. Like you're expecting, oh, here comes Captain Marvel. You're expecting like the obvious, and then, oh, it's not Captain Marvel. It's actually Shang Chi. It's actually something, something unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't want to harp on it too much. I one yeah. positive I thought was good. Uh, what were you saying about Shang Chi? No, I was just saying like a super powerful like alternate universe Shang Chi that. Yeah, with, like fully uh, trained. Fang Foom. Yeah, completely OP. Like he's he's gone full super saiyan multiple times at this point yeah i don't know if that's how it works or not i don't you can know go. <laughs> i don't know anything about shang chi that wasn't in the movie so yeah but i was saying one positive on the episode i think is the music it really brought together all the individual themes of all the characters really well it's something i didn't notice on the first watch but when i rewatched it and especially when i, I watched a couple like videos that were saying oh here's stuff you missed in the episode of uh what if and they pointed out, like, oh, Captain Carter's theme is here, and T'Challa's theme is here when he comes in, and the Guardians of the Galaxy theme plays kind of when he rescues Peter Quill. And then at the end, when Peggy Carter rescues Steve, or you assume it's Steve, but she kind of goes down and finds the the abandoned Hulkbuster, and you hear, like, a piano version of what was Steve's theme from... Uh, from Captain America. So I like how this is kind of bringing back those themes from the MCU. I think the music of the MCU sometimes gets uh, beat on a little bit because people are like, oh, they have the Avengers theme, but what else do they have? And this episode kind of reminded me in a weird way, like, oh, the the MCU does have a a lot more recognizable music than I remembered it having. Yeah, definitely, 100%. I mean, I think it's a solid show. How would you you rank it? Because I think for me... Loki and this are one and two that I feel like I'd need to rewatch both before I could fully say which one was one and what, which one was two. But for me, this and Loki are one and two. Falcon and Winter Soldier is very clearly three, and then WandaVision is definitely four. For me, I I probably put Loki at the top. I mean, for me, it's an easy win for Loki. I think it has the surprise factor of this, where like I wasn't expecting a ton from Loki, and then it turned out to be way more and way bigger than I thought it was going to be, but I also think it stuck the landing really well and felt consistent. Like, I I never really felt like Loki was wasting my time in any episodes, and this, as good as it was, there were one or two episodes where I thought, okay, do we really need an entire episode of Thor partying in Vegas? Like, was that necessary to get yes, to the end of the game that we had? <laughs> we did. And I just feel like there was some pacing problems a couple of times. We were like every episode, I think we were like, oh, I wish this was 20 minutes longer. I wish this had like another beat to get through, you know? And I think those are just some things that will be ironed out as the show goes along in season two and season three. I would assume they are going to be going along with the show for a while. But yeah, yeah I, I, especially Loki as for they me make... is number one, this is number two. Especially as they make more movies, they have more things to do what ifs about. Like, I could easily see season three a what if of, like, Shang-Chi is just raised by his dad the whole time and becomes, like, a villain or something. Yeah, I think, I know, I saw some interviews that in season two they do plan to be getting into some movies that had not been released yet at the point. They said they're going to do a Black Widow episode, knitting kind of to the plot of the Black Widow movie, so. That, of course, hadn't come out yet, but they'd already been working on that uh, by, by that point because season two, you'd assume, is already well underway. All right. The animation takes so long. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about this uh, episode or show? I will say I'm going to check my ranking and say I have this at number – right. uh, Sorry. I have Loki number one, What If number two, number three. I'd probably go with WandaVision. I thought Ooh. the creativity in that was really interesting. And four, I'll go with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, I liked – what I was going for in places, but 
yeah, like a lot of the Disney Plus shows, that one did not nail the landing <laughs> at the end. Uh, you know what else but, didn't land the ending? The fucking WandaVision with the Disney Channel original movie fight scene. Yeah, well, I don't know. You know, it fit the tone of the show a bit more. But I do want to say, Joe, where do you, what do you see as the future of the What If? Like, do you think that I think next season is is a similar beat? Like, is it all disconnected? Then it connects at the end, or do you think season two is going to be much more of like a, here's the story with the, the characters you know? I I mean, I fully believe season two, the big villain is going to be Ultron and Black, uh, Black. You know, uh, Killmonger, Black Panther breaking out of their little pocket universe. I feel like you don't set that up with Doctor Strange watching it. But I think it's going to be a mix. I think it's going to be like maybe five. Because this was supposed to be ten episodes, right? I so, think so. I, so I could see it being, okay, like season two was five new what-if versions. And then four of them are like sequels to these episodes or this story, right? So I think that's probably what it's going to be. And then they kind of maybe team up at the end or maybe team, maybe they change it up and team up throughout to fight, you know, Ultron and Black Panther. Maybe they somehow merge or something and maybe uh, Ultron somehow acquires the vibranium in T'Challa's suit or something. Or not T'Challa, but uh, Black Panther's suit. Something like that. I don't really know, but I think I I just think it's going to be a mix. Would be my guess of like new and old. What about you? Yeah, I think my bet is that they keep it where it's pretty much separate stories. I think we see maybe one or two where it's returning characters, like in the finale and the premiere, maybe. But I would kind of like it as like, okay, now we have the initial Avengers team. Maybe now we have to kind of go out and recruit some other. Avengers yeah. team members and yeah. the premise is like oh maybe Peggy Carter in this episode has to go to some alternate universe and recruit an alternate version of Steve where he turned evil she has to go and turn him back to good like they could really really lead into the multiverse kind of aspect of this there's, well there's there's <laughs> I a, think that could be fun there's a theory that the Steve in the Hulk Buster suit has been winter soldierized and he actually is an evil version already. I like that a lot. I think that would be an interesting direction to go because even I remember when we watched the episode, I, I was thinking, oh, is he going to come back as a Winter Soldier? But that would be a fun like storyline to explore. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, it's a, it's a shame we're never going to get that because I didn't think we'd be getting sequels to any of these episodes. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be fun to follow up on that. I, I, think the wonder wi- if we'll... I think the way season one ended kind of to me, implies that we'll be getting sequels, just with like her finding Steve in the and the Hulk but in the uh, whatever the suit they called it, I can't remember. And then uh, same with like having Doctor Strange observing that pocket universe. I feel like we'll be getting sequels to at least some of it. Yeah, I think we'll at least be seeing characters pop up yeah. here and there. You know, whether it's direct sequels following up on storylines. You know, I I don't know, but yeah, I think that'll happen. All right, uh, you ready? One, one last thing, okay. Joe. <laughs> before we before we leave, what if completely? I want your your final guess. Give me like a top three characters from the show that you think could make live action appearances by the time we talk about what if again. Like before we get to season two, do you think any of these characters show up on live action? Okay, I I I don't know about before we get to season two, but I could potentially see Captain Carter show up somewhere. Maybe even Captain America four. I could see Captain Carter. 
I very easily think one of these version, this version of Thor could show up in Thor Love and Thunder. Because I think that's going to Loki be dealing with the uh, multiverse as well. And then also this version of Doctor Strange in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I definitely think we see this version of Doctor Strange. And I think Captain Carter is definitely a, a I think, a, a staple. Haley Atwell has good. Can I make a prediction of one I don't think will return? I think we can uh, guess on that one, Joe. I was going to say T'Challa <laughs> Star-Lord as my uh, guess. Yeah, that's a shame. That would be a fun one to return to. But I think we could also see the alternate version of Peter Quill who never did anything with his life and is just kind of like living and working at a restaurant kind of guy. We could see that in the potential if they get into the multiverse yeah. angle going forward. We could see Peter Quill having kind of like a it's a wonderful life moment where he sees what he would be like if he never like went down that path you know yeah that could be an interesting story of like what would happen if yandu never picked him up that's why i would have liked so much more instead of him being like a janitor like a gas station employee if he was actually like a successful person because i think it would kind of be funny like him like doing exactly what they did is like super predictable and obvious i would have loved if he was like ceo of a tech startup or something yeah, or or like a mu- like a famous musician or something. Because obviously he had the connection to music because like he had his mom's playlist if he was like a famous musician or something. Yeah, I could have seen him being like a cocky rock musician in some kind of like B-level band who tours. And yeah. <laughs> he's like, you could be like, yeah, this overgrown child on the bass. You know, I, I could see that being a perfect character for him. Yeah. Basically, oh, that would have been perfect if you had like... uh if he was in a band but they were like kind of you could put them side by side with the Guardians of the Galaxy and kind of see like the comparison you had like this super short lead singer that kind of is rocket you have like the giant uh, drummer that looks like Drax you have like the girl on like lead guitar that looks like Gamora and then maybe another girl on bass that looks you know something else that looks like uh, Mantis yeah, and you could perfect. have all the personalities match. You know, he's he's in love yeah. with the Gamora standard, but he hasn't been able to express his feelings. And the yeah. <laughs> it could be a perfect, you know, that's, that's right. Band season manager two, is very clearly Yondu. I think we get that season two, Joe. Let's let's get let's make that episode happen. We got to get some ambition. You know, give us some really crazy stuff like mm-hmm. Peter Quill having a crazy band. Give us some really out there what if stuff. Yeah. I thought season one was a fun kind of exploration into the idea i hope season two goes way bonkers into it and really gets into the fun into the wild into the dark and gives us more of the premise than what we already got that was good in season one yeah all right uh you ready to move on to uh doogie kame aloha let's do it joe you're the expert on this one this week all right uh i know we talked a little bit off air that you watched the beginning of the episode but you weren't able to finish it uh, basically, if you haven't been keeping up with this show, it's a reboot of Doogie Howser. However, this time it's a you know 16-year-old female doctor living in Hawaii, working for her mom, who's trying to become chief of staff of the hospital. Um, this episode may be the second worst or the worst episode uh, of the series because we have had no Walter. Hashtag where's Walter? The best episodes are the episodes with Walter because who doesn't love a 16-year-old boy named Walter? It makes no sense. No one under the age of 60 is named Walter. However, Walter is my favorite character on this show, and he was not even mentioned in this episode, and I am sad. However, 
there was a plot to this episode. Even surprisingly, they found a way to make an episode without uh, Walter. And basically, there's the main plot of Doogie is trying to, or like, figures out that she can make money buying and selling shoes online. And the B plot of the episode is the mom uh, trying to become the chief of staff at the hospital to make real change and replace uh, the current chief of staff played by Randall Park, who is going to become the chief, uh, like, meta, uh, basically doctor for the L.A. Lakers. And uh, she realizes that she has to, like, the only time that the current chief of staff has where she can talk to him and, like, make her campaign and try to get the job is during the lunch pickup basketball game. And so she trains with her sons to play pickup basketball. And kind of the episode goes awry when Doogie, who loses a bunch of money, realizes her mom's old sneakers are worth money and sells them online and they're kind of were her mom's lucky sneakers and so the mom has to real has to play basketball without her lucky sneakers and doogie kind of learns the lesson i guess if don't sell your mom's sneakers online <laughs> granted if i sold my mom's shoes online for like a lot of money i feel like she would be like all right uh i guess that's just my money and that would be the end of it like I don't think she would care that much, but apparently the mom in the show cared. Yeah, I mean, if he sold them for a great price, I'd be like, Mom, look, I'd be like, buy some other lucky shoes. Do you really need this? Yeah, yeah. I just made like $500 off the shoes you bought in 1985. <laughs> I thought the B plot in this episode held together a bit more than the A plot. I thought yeah, the, the selling A plot of shoes... didn't really... I do like the mixing and matching of, like... Because normally on a lot of... Maybe it was just, like, the Disney shows I grew up on, but, like, one parent always had a storyline with one kid, and the other parent always had their storylines with the other kid, and this one was kind of flipped. Normally it was the dad and the sons, and then the mom and Doogie, but this time it was flipped where it was the dad and Doogie and the mom and the sons, and it definitely worked this episode, and I liked it a lot. We also, yeah, I liked it. It felt like a wrench in the... In the... Like you said, it did switch up the pairings. You know, we were seeing characters together who aren't typically together. And yeah. that is always kind of fun, especially in a sitcom where we've, even a couple episodes in, gotten like, we could have already gotten st- kind of stale. And they said, okay, let's kind of change up the pairings and make the dynamic more interesting. I thought that worked. Yeah. And I really like the plot with Randall Park coming in. And I, I think the mom's plot has been very interesting overall yeah. in this whole show, like how she has this mix of emotions of being the boss of her daughter while also trying to be a mom, you know, and, and she has this outstanding 16 year old daughter who she has to try and be a normal mother to. And on top of actual, the actual stress of being a high figure in a hospital, you know, and (laughs) Randall Park was a fascinating addition to the cast last week. And when he first walked in, I thought, Oh, is this is like the guest guest star for the week type thing, you know? And, it seems like he at least has a couple episodes arc here in season one, so it'll be. I think it's fun, and I think it's cool to see like, uh, you know, she's fighting to change from the inside. You know, she's doing what she should do to, to make a change and with it within, and it's kind of like a cool message to, to have. And you can, I think it's also cool to get beyond just like, oh, it's like the Hawaii show where they hang out on the beach and like the kid doctor. <laughs> you know, they're they're still continuing to give the parents cool plots and get get interesting with it and give it i never would have guessed like oh there's going to be like political drama within the hospital where the mom has this intruding i I never would have guessed that from the first episode 
but it's been really interesting so far. Yeah, the show definitely has a really the show the best thing going for the show is a really good balance I think as far as being a family show. I've talked about it before, but it's you know, not too adult enough that kids won't be interested in. It's not like a typical like CBS medical drama, but it's not too kiddish that adults watching with their kids will like hate it. Like there's definitely like I parents watching it can definitely there's enough there in the parents storyline for the parents to connect to and there's enough with the kids that the kids can connect to and i think it's the perfect balance of being a kid's show that adults can enjoy it's the perfect family show i think and uh, the best way i can describe this show is balance i think all of the characters for the most part act like real people Mm -hmm. and i definitely buy them as a family yeah, I buy them together, and they're dealing with problems that I, I would buy. Even in the third premise of a teenage doctor, I feel like they're finding problems that are relatable and that any family watching can connect to. And I I think it's been really impressive. You said this every week, but the show continues to be impressive. And you'd expect it to, at some point, have a drop-off. I'm, I'm sure it'll come at some point eventually, maybe. But <laughs> as of now, it's been good so far. And with all these additional subplots, especially the stuff within the hospital i'm really looking forward to what they do next yeah one of the one of the moments i did think was funny is they were talking about the parents were talking and like talk, reminding each other like oh we moved our kids to hawaii to like keep them away from the world and like to show them balance and like there's a beauty and stuff i'm like so you moved them to basically the meth capital of america because that <laughs> basically from all the episodes of dog the bounty hunter i've watched and basically everything i've known about hawaii is if you're a tourist there it's nice and beautiful and a tropical paradise if you live there it kind of it kind of sucks like all there really is there <laughs> to do is look at volcanoes and smoke meth i've heard good things about hawaii you know i watched a couple of videos on the hawaiian culture and hawaiian life current hawaiian life ahead of the show as i was watching it so i've heard i've heard good reviews also jay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give it all negatives all right well someone has to be someone has to be positive and someone has to be realistic so (laughs) that's this show you know all right uh Anything else you want to say about this? It's not really a big speculative show. Like, oh, what's going to happen next week? I don't know. Some yeah. medical drama when's stuff, some family drama stuff. Happen? You know, uh, where's the, where's the alternate Kamala who didn't show up to medical school? You know, still she waiting became for... a 16-year-old film director or something. Yeah, I'm still waiting for Doogie How- for uh, Neil Patrick Harris to show up as himself. Yeah, let's do it. Variant, a variant of Neil Patrick Harris. He was like, Doogie who? I've never done that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, you ready to uh, move on to our next topic? Yeah, I'm ready to. Let's go. All right, uh, we got Muppets Haunted Mansion, which dropped uh, this Friday, I believe. Uh, I, I think if you're a fan of the Muppets, if you're a fan of the Haunted Mansion ride, definitely check this out. Uh, I'm not really a big Muppets fan. I think the last Muppets thing I really paid attention to was like Muppets Treasure Island when I was a kid. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. Kind of the plot of this episode is uh, Pepe the King Prawn and Gonzo. I uh, believe they are invited to a celebrity party at this mansion for Halloween. And they show up and they kind of s- slowly realize that it's the haunted mansion. Or that it's a mansion that's haunted and they're kind of freaked out and they go on an adventure. Uh, what were your, I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Honestly, when I hit play, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to set. When I, I, think it's, I think I saw that it was 52 minutes and I'm like, I really <laughs> hoped that this was like 30 minutes 
because I'm like, oh, I'm going to suffer through this. Like this, I'm only watching this for the show. But when it ended, I honestly felt that it could have been a full feature-length theatrical released movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think families will like it a lot. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, you mentioned that you don't have much of a history with the Muppets or the Haunted Mansion ride. Uh, and I don't have any history with the Muppets really at all. I, I'm sure I've seen a Muppet movie here or there in my childhood. And I've, of course familiar with the characters because they've kind of been cemented in the pop culture through everything else. So, you know, you kind of already know the characters even if you haven't seen it, but I do know the haunted mansion. I had gone on that ride plenty of times. I used to live in Southern California area. So I spent a lot of time at Disneyland and haunted mansion was kind of a staple ride for me. I thought it was really fun and it was kind of a fun ride too. Cause you got, I, I like to just kind of like watch the reactions of people as you were on it. <laughs> Cause there's so many kind of like staple moments that are really fun. And what I loved about this movie is that they captured so many of those staple moments. Like a lot of the sequences, a lot of the set pieces, I was like, oh, that's right out of the ride. That's from this scene or that scene of the ride. And I had a really good time watching this. And like I said, I don't have any affinity for the Muppets, but I, I love the Haunted Mansion. So I, I caught a lot of the references to that. Like the the most obvious one, I think, is when they're, on the room with Will Arnett, it's kind of like this yeah. circular room and it kind of starts shrinking down. They're sinking into the kind of the floor yeah. and you see the portraits growing along on the side and that's right out of the ride. That's towards the beginning of the ride when you're at the end of the line, you walk right into the Haunted Mansion for the first time and your tour guide has you in this room and it kind of starts sinking down and you see the portraits expanding and you kind of like have this sinking feeling as you're going down. It's kind of an iconic moment on the ride and uh, they have that tributed here too and there's stuff like, oh, the, the, the heads that are ceramic heads that turn and look and they have cameos. I can't remember who the cameos were. I think it was like Craig Robinson and, and Pat Sajak. Pat or something Sajak, like, baby. Yeah. And there, are, there are a couple other ones too, but yeah, this movie yeah, had a lot, a lot of cameos. cameos that are like, what was your favorite like cameo? Characters there, from there, the ride, essentially. There was one that was very clear and obvious to me, my favorite. Like, not even, <laughs> I'm not going to count Will Arnett because he was kind of a cast member in this. I wouldn't say he's a cameo. Uh, but what was your favorite uh, cameo? Because there's one for uh, me that's very obviously number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it Jump Scaremos. Uh, John, yeah, that <laughs> John Stamos. He like when that thing started and then he transformed into the Muppet. I'm like, no cameo was beating this. <laughs> obviously, I have to give a shout out to Ad Asner who uh, unfortunately recently passed away, but he does have a very small cameo in this movie. I love Darren Chris at the beginning. I I I do love my Darren Chris. Any anytime I can see Darren Chris in a movie or anything, I'm here for it. Yeah, the the Pat Sajak cameo. I was like, oh, did they model that? Because the statue it was like lined up with other ones, and it didn't really have lines or do anything. I'm like, did they model that statue after Pat Sajak? And then at the end, when they're rolling the credits, it's revealed that it is in fact just Pat Sajak. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was a really good time, and I thought a lot of the cameos, like I said, they weren't... I mean, they, they literally are thrown in because they're cameos. It's kind of a joke. <laughs> but, like, I think it kind of fits. Like, some of the, a lot of the characters are, like, they're playing characters from the Haunted Mansion, and they're cameoing as those characters. But rather than just being nameless actors, they're people you know, or they're Muppets. Yeah, and yeah. I think it, it fit within the within the context of what you're watching, and... With it, 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 it does have its tug in cheek throughout the whole thing. I know the Muppets, I think, are kind of like that. You know, they wink at the camera. They literally will, like, address the camera and talk to the audience and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, 
Oh, one thing I was going to add, Taraji P. Henson was great as well. Uh, she was having the time of her life with her with her <laughs> character. Cause that, it basically felt like she was doing an impression of Rihanna the whole time, but I was I was all about it. Yeah, it was a really good time. I was surprised by it. I figured I would like the Haunted Mansion references, but I had a good time with the Muppet characters too, and I would be down. I mean, I'm sure it's a huge IP, so Disney is going to be doing plenty with Muppets so I'm ready to see whatever they do next. And I like that they have these kind of crossovers. I'd love to see the Muppets crossover with another Disneyland attraction. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing I've seen a lot of is, like, they want Muppets to do, like, every Disneyland attraction, which I'd be down That's going to get really tired really quick, but that was it was fun for the first one. I feel uh, like I'll we can that. skip Pirates of the Caribbean. I feel like we've seen enough of that. Do we need Jungle Cruise, really, you know? No. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't, I don't, I don't I think... know the rides enough to know what, what they could do. They could do a space mountain. That could be kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Muppets in space. Yeah. I'd be down for that. Yeah. Haunted Mansion is a unique ride though, because it does have a lot of lore to it and a lot of like characters with all these built up histories. So there was a lot to go off of (laughs) versus some of it like space mountain. I'm sure has some crazy history. I don't know about, but I like that it goes real fast and they play loud music and it was cool when it was star Wars themed, you know, Poe Dameron says cool lines and you go up there real fast. It's a small world Muppet edition. Oh my god. Give me nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that could happen. There was controversy that when they added Disney characters to the small world ride and everyone was like, you're ruining my small world. That's not my small world. And then they got over it. You know, So maybe we'll get a Muppet small world and everyone will outcry and be like, that's not my small world. All the small world fans will come out and be like, you're ruining this with your with your Muppet politics, and you're you're invading my small world. Yeah. Uh, Who knows, Muppets. Joe? That's the future of the Muppets franchise. Yeah, I'm okay with it. It'll be fun, though. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. All right. Uh, ready to move on to uh, Impact with Gal Gadot? Let's do it. Yeah. So basically, I don't know how many episodes there are of this total, but I'm gonna say probably like six to eight ish episodes i only watched the first four i think tristan said he watched the first two uh basically what this is is gal gadot gives a little intro to each story it's a docuseries and it's basically about a woman who is helping developing uh her community whether it's working with other young girls as like a figure skater helping develop and like clean and filtrate the water in her area just women help you know uh there was one about uh, a woman who had lost her sister to COVID and she was like, and her and her sister both surfed and she was kind of using sur- surfing as a therapy and helping uh, other people who have lost loved ones or had any kind of trauma or, you know, anything that you would need therapy for in their lives, like helping using surfing for therapy. All of the episodes are like 10, 12 minutes apiece. It's a solid, decent show. Uh, I would say if what I just said interests you in any way, I would definitely say check it out and watch it. Uh, it's not like this mind-blowing experience. Uh, but Tristan, what were your thoughts? It was not too bad. You could tell this was like a COVID production, I think, because Gal Gadot was shooting this in some like, green screen in her yeah, house and or everyone's, something. And... Yeah, I mean, you had the one about the sister losing uh, her friend to... Or losing... Yeah, the one about the woman who lost her sister to COVID and then the one with the uh, black woman teaching uh, black girls about ice skating and stuff and uh, all of the girls in her class were wearing masks and stuff so you definitely tell this was a post-COVID 
Yeah, I, th I thought it was nice, though. It was a pleasant watch, and I think these have, like, a nice place in the documentary uh, field. You know, all these human interest pieces that are kind of portraying someone in their in their in their struggle and their kind of life and what they're going through and, and their aspirations and i think the focus is also interesting that it's like these young women and i think that could be something that uh, is really important and impactful not to make it a pun but like <laughs> that has the potential to be really interesting especially to the audience that i think it's aimed towards but i do think this was a bit Unambitious. I know they are limited by COVID, but it would have been nice to see Gal Gadot a, a bit more active within the within the series. Like she maybe she goes was, and meets that, these women or something is, like that. So this is a question I wanted to ask as I was watching these episodes. How involved, like, uh, how involved was Gal Gadot? Because part of me wonders, like, did they go and film these and then they're like, okay, now we need to go and hire a host, and then they're like, oh, Gal Gadot, she plays Wonder Woman, even though like, like they're obviously not going to address Wonder Woman because it's Disney and they're and wonder woman's warner brothers but like okay she's played like this strong powerful woman like gal gadot would be a good host for this series or do you think like she was involved from the beginning because i'm kind of uh, thinking it was more they filmed everything had the episodes ready to go and then got gal gadot to host yeah these feel to me like shorts that were filmed for national geographic that they didn't quite know what to do with and they put them together with gal gadot and made it into a show. It feels like one that was maybe planned to be a bit larger scale and then COVID hit and they're like, okay, let's kind of shrink this down. And yeah. it is interesting in kind of that meta respect of like, okay, how do they make this thing work when they were clearly limited in what they could do? And I think it works in a way. We're going to talk about another docuseries that I think is a lot more in my vein of what I'm looking for out of it. But this was this okay human interest piece documentary. I think it could have done a bit more and yeah Gal Gadot definitely just sitting there just reading on teleprompter I'm not thinking she's too involved in this in this show she's like impact what's that yeah uh one thing I do want to say uh is I was watching the first episode and for the anyone that's like oh representation doesn't matter or anything like that uh in the episode about the uh black uh woman in Detroit who's teaching black girls uh how to figure skate uh they there's one black girl that they mostly focus on throughout the episode and she uh, is talking to I believe her mom and or maybe she's just talking to the camera I don't really re remember but she is saying something about how she hated she, like for most of her life she hated her hair she didn't like her hair because uh, it was like curly or whatever and she always wanted straight hair and uh, her teacher who every day like looked at her hair was like oh I really like your hair and now she's like oh I love my hair and I thought that was like the to me that fully summed up that thirty seconds fully summed up that entire episode. Yeah, I think this is one that where they could become the target of like, oh, why are they making this all about women, like, <laughs> or something like that. But I think it isn't. I think it uh, has a role, and I think it is important. And yeah. I think, yeah, that moment was cool. And I think there's a, there's a moment in that episode as well where they're talking about like how these problems we're discussing are you might they might seem like new to you. But these are things that have been present in our lives for a really long time. So you might think that representation is this sudden new thing that people are all of a sudden wanting to talk about. But it's been a thing that's been happening for decades and decades. It just hasn't been yeah. talked about on the level of mainstream that it is right now. Yep. All right. Uh, I think we covered that. Uh, if you, you know, want to hear us talk more about it, cover more episodes, uh, tweet us at Movie Changeup or uh, message us on Instagram or, you know, 
How, or just tweet at us uh, directly, either way. But I think we're going to move on to Among Us. You can us. find us on the internet somewhere. You, yeah. you, guys, you guys know how to find or us. Or just comment on the YouTube comment on our YouTube uh, for this video. Uh, next up, we're going to move to Among the Stars, which is a National Geographic NASA documentary. Uh, and it basically follows a space mission about this guy who wants to return to space. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I've only watched the first episode. And it kind of ends with uh, this guy seeing his friends and the crew he was supposed to basically be a part of, but there were some problems, and so he wasn't able to go on it. And they launch. Uh, it just didn't captivate me or capture me how I was hoping it would. I, I'm not like that big of a space person. This wasn't like some crazy cool mission I was waiting to see how it worked out. It's like, yeah, they're just going to go up and like work on the ISS. And I was just like, I don't here. Uh, oh, this guy that's already been to space three or four times isn't going to get to go now? I'm like, I don't really care. If th- to me, if it was more like, oh, we have to go, if this was like this cool, important, amazing mission that I'm like, oh, this would be really cool to see. Like, oh, we got, we're going to like this thing that could potentially get us to Mars. And this was his first ever time going to space and it got held back and I'd be like okay like it's this guy's first time going to space and now he wasn't able to go and now he's launching this mission to like for him to go to space for the first time for this big important mission that could eventually lead to us going to Mars but it was like eh, this guy's been to space before I don't really understand the full importance of this mission oh it's about studying antimatter I don't know what the hell antimatter is I don't care if we study it I don't I'll be like it was cool if you're a big space person you'd probably love this docuseries it's made well it's just not about a subject matter I care about Tristan you've watched more of this what are your thoughts yeah I definitely watched uh, more of it than you I watched I think five episodes of this I want to say I think maybe four or five so I got I think halfway through what's available for me right now on there and I like this quite a bit I I'm not like a space nerd where I know all the science of it and everything like that, but I am fascinated by it. And I think that uh, this was a really interesting series, like kind of getting into the detail of how these missions kind of go about. And you mentioned like, it didn't feel like this important mission. It didn't feel like he was doing this like once in a lifetime thing that was going to change science or whatever. And I kind of liked that about it. It felt like this kind of weird day in the life of someone whose life is this really absurd thing that he launches himself into space you know and i thought that was just a really cool way to look at it and it didn't feel like he's on this end of the world type mission where the stakes were really high it felt like personal more so like he was on this kind of day-to-day trip that was part of his job and they got really into the intricate detail and there's a lot of great footage i know they worked with nasa to get a lot of archive footage that hadn't been released yet so we got tons of great space shots and I think it was a great look into just the science of this technology. And it reminded me a bit of First Man, the movie that came out a few years oh, ago, yeah, the Damien Chazelle movie that was kind of really into the into the, into the the woods of like how they made this Apollo mission happen and like every step, step of the mission. And I thought that was really fascinating. So if you liked that movie, you might like this series, like a real world contemporary version of like that kind of a story. So I like this a lot. I'm excited to finish the rest of it. Alright, uh, yeah, when you finish it, i definitely love to hear your full thoughts on it. It's just, for me, it didn't capture my attention like I hoped it would. Um, but yeah, I don't really, I, I don't have anything else to add. I don't know if you do, but... 
No, I don't have much else to add. It's it's definitely like if you are into science and space and that kind of stuff, I think it's definitely for you. But yeah, I don't think it does too much to appeal to people outside of that demographic. Like you said, you're not a yeah. person I will into say that like, at all. Like I said, it's made well. It's shot well. Uh, they definitely put a lot of work and effort. It's not a badly made documentary series by any means. It's just not a subject matter I care about. So, And I do think that there's a lot of better space documentaries yeah. out there like you can watch like feature length films just recently there was a couple of good apollo ones that came out in the last couple of years if you want to get into that kind of this stuff but i do think if you're, if you're talking like contemporary space travel and contemporary space science like what does it look like today to go to the international space station what is space science looking like today i think this is one of the best ones that i've seen in a while I'm, i mean I, I maybe one of the better ones i've seen all right ready to move on to our I guess third to last topic because I don't have our last topic on the sidebar. But let's do it, Joe. All right. Uh, they're speaking of documentaries. We've been covering a lot of documentaries uh, <laughs> this week. Uh, one I didn't watch and won't watch for certain reasons. Uh, but there's another National Geographic documentary, and that is Fauci. Yeah, covering everyone's favorite doctor, <laughs> Fauci. Because you know we haven't seen enough of his fucking face. Sorry for swearing on our Disney Plus review. Oh, I tried not to, and I try to keep this relatively family friendly, but I just I don't I don't need to see Fauci ever again. I'm I've been seeing his face for two years, so that's kind of part of the problem with this thing for me, Joe. I will start with that and say like the negative going into it is like what more can be learned? Like I've seen Fauci every day for. <laughs> Not every day, but there were points at at the last year where I was seeing Fauci's face every day, and I was hearing him talk every day and hearing arguments about, oh, is Fauci a liar who's just out to profiteer or just out to make money on some scheme, or is he like this all good saint who's just out here to save, you know, the United States, and is he like this guy fighting against Trump? Is he some kind of rebel, or is he just a guy trying to do his job that's like being attacked by someone? You know, like there was a lot of back and forth about his role in the last two years. Oh, was that, that actually like in the documentary? That's a big part of the documentary. Oh, I, thought, yeah. I, I honestly <laughs> figured the documentary was this whole big Fauci appraisal thing of, oh, look at how amazing this guy is. I thought that it would be that, but it is kind of like, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not a takedown or anything like that. It is, it is a positive take on him, but it's not afraid to also get into the negatives. I didn't know much about Fauci's life or his history and the role before I watched this. I knew his role in COVID, but I didn't know anything prior to that. And this gets into his history with the AIDS crisis and how he was kind of one of the first people to speak out and say, no, this is an actual problem. We need to be like taking care of people and figuring out what's going on with, with AIDS. And they, that was a good thing to see. And I thought it was interesting to get some history of, of his life and the pros and the cons. Like he was this mm-hmm. person who spoke out against, he spoke out uh, in favor of AIDS research, but he also had some confrontations with, AIDS activists and they weren't afraid to show both sides of that story and I think they also weren't afraid to show the personal impact of of COVID on him so I think that was interesting to see as well he really shared like his personal story and people think like oh he's just trying to do this to further some agenda or whatnot and I don't want to attack anyone's political views or whatnot but for this I think this documentary really did show like he's a human being with a family that has like you know (laughs) A history, a whole decades-long history of working in the in, in the medical field, and really kind of gave him some credit and 
I expected just a big puff piece, but it was more of like a yeah, that's honestly piece, why I thought it. it was more of like, oh, what has this guy done throughout his career, the highs and lows of his career, and it was really interesting because I hadn't realized his career was so wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I honestly figured it was going to be like this big puff piece thing, and I'm like, I've seen this guy every day for two years. I don't need, I don't need this. But I, I've seen things online regarding, you know, from people that have worked, not, not, not that I'm like some big like COVID denier or anything, like there's statistics that prove it's definitely here, uh, but just from people that have worked from him, worked with him in the past and that he's definitely a person that likes to see himself on television, so. <laughs> I got that a little bit, you know, he seems like he's a guy who likes the, likes the spotlight and that was, they, they kind of highlight that, but this does feel, I'll, I'll, there's a slight tinge of, of puff to it. You know, it's, it's not yeah, trying I to make that. the guy look bad, you know, and but also, it was like, more so informative than it was just look how great this guy is. And also like he tells uh, people you can't go to sporting events because you can spread COVID. And then days later, after he throws out the first pitch, we see him during the game with his family, with his mask down, snacking on a hot dog. And it's like, that's a great look, buddy. Bad uh, optics there. Yeah. You know, politics aside, Whatever your politics are, that's that's not great optics. Um, all right, you ready? Because I, I haven't watched to... it, so I can't really comment on the documentary. Yeah, I figured it would be a quick one. And I think, of yeah. course, if, if someone it's, – it's, it's an interesting documentary because, like, what is the audience for this? Yeah. Like, people are either tired of seeing him or like... they have, like, a visceral hatred to him and what he's saying. That they're not going to watch this, and I don't quite know where the audience is for this one. I feel like half the people aren't going to watch it straight out of their own political beliefs, and the half of the other half are just tired of seeing his face and they aren't going to watch it. I just feel like it's almost one of those things that they should have made it five years from now, ten years from now, when COVID is more of like, hey, remember those two, two, two and a half, three years where we couldn't do anything? And remember the guy who's kind of the face of it? Let's do a documentary about him. Not release it in like smack dab in the middle of it, you know? Well, you wonder if they made it like a year ago and they were like, surely it will be done by October of 2021, right? I still remember, like, when it started in, like, March and April of last year. I was like, oh, by July 4th, we'll be good to go. You know, it'll be over by then. But uh, here we are, a full past July 4th, a year later. And, uh... At least we got Disney+. Plus. All right, uh, next topic. Uh, We got a little bit of a rewind here, back to an OG... Uh, Disney Channel original movie, or as the kids call them, DCOMs, or not the kids. And when, I, I can't imagine <laughs> anyone under 15 has ever watched a DCOM in their life. Um, but The Phantom of the Megaplex, which is kind of a take on The Phantom of the Opera, where someone is sabotaging a big movie premiere at a Megaplex, and uh, the... One of the uh, employees there is trying to stop it, along with his kid brother and sister. Uh, Tristan, you watched it way more recently than I did, and for the first time, how? what are your thoughts on Mickey Rooney's best movie? <laughs> this is like an absurd movie, I'll say that. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that it was a Phantom of the Opera sort of uh, adaptation in a way, and I, I know Phantom of the Opera. I saw the movie a lot, not a good amount of times when I was younger, and I'm familiar enough with the musical that I, w- I was looking forward to seeing like what this was going to be like, how direct is this going to be of an adaptation. And it, there's, there's moments, like there's little tiny things there, you know, like the main manager character, who's kind of like the stickler character who 
is like the stick in the mud kind of guy who's getting stomped on by the higher ups. Uh, he's giving a performance like right out of that character from the Broadway show. Like there's a couple of characters that feel like, okay, we're taking the guy from the Broadway show and we're kind of like making it into a decom character. <laughs> so there's little things there that were fun to see. And of course the opening titles are, are scenes from the movie version of Phantom of the Opera. So you're getting that uh, in there as well. So there are little tiny nods, but it definitely didn't feel like they were adapting Phantom of the Opera. This is his own thing. And it was fun. It was cheesy, real cheesy, like all kinds of cheesy. There's a, there's a scene where the main character, he uh, he plays hockey with like spilled gumballs in order to get the spilled gumballs back into the gumball machine. So That's an iconic cinema stick. moment. Don't disparage it. He's like, wait, guys, wait, I can fix this. And he gets he gets a hockey stick and he plays hockey. And then all the all the people, all the patrons of the of the movie uh, theater, instead of being like, "Sir, we have to, our movie starts in five minutes. I need my popcorn." They're like, "Yay, we did a good job with the hockey stick," and they all love him for it. And then he just cut to the next scene, and it's fine. And no one addresses the fact that he just like pulled some hockey stick moves. There's a, all kinds of weird stuff in this movie where it's just like, "Oh, the popcorn machine's exploding all over the entire ground. This is crazy." And then like. It cuts to the next scene and it's just fixed. And they're, they're like, "Oh, they, they clean that up when that up pretty quick." But a lot of a lot of cheese, a lot of fun, and I had a good time with it. If you're looking for like a a drink along and get nostalgic kind of movie, it was nostalgic for me even having not seen it because it, it captures that era of decom so well. Where it, it's like it came out, I believe, in the year 2000, so it was like right in that kind of turn of the century era of decom so i think you, if you've seen stuff in that era that's the golden era you know what you're getting into yeah and uh mickey rooney of course yeah. you got uh the random celebrity in this decom that and when you google fan of the megaplex like all of the marketing is just like mickey rooney is in this <laughs> like come see this one <laughs> yeah because you know the kids love mickey rooney but yeah uh yeah well, i mean i mean that's in the era of them having debbie reynolds in halloween town so it's funny the posters are all just like, oh, here are these two little kids and this old man in this like, <laughs> what? I think that's yeah. unless you know who the old man is, you're like, that's not even like a big. Hey, character. that's the guy in the non-problematic role in Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that one. All right, and yeah, um, speaking of drink-alongs, I think sometime during the month of Halloween, maybe here in the next few week weeks, Tristan and I have talked, we are going to do a Under Wraps double feature, where we will watch the original Under Wraps, which is the first ever DCOM, along with the uh, remake, which just uh, dropped this Friday, so uh, we're going to get around some time and do a double feature drink along for that. I'm uh, looking forward to that, that's going to be a really uh, interesting experience, I will say. And I also have a quick question for you, Tristan, as someone who's recently watched Phantom of the Megaplex. Would you describe it as a whodunit? I would say it's a whodunit. I would, I would call it a whodunit. Vindication. Um, <laughs> Look, Joe, you. So, I. I'll go so, ahead and defend your choice there. I so know for you got called out, but anyone, yeah, explain explain the history. Anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, episode eleven, I believe, of episode ten or episode eleven, I'm not sure, of our main show, where uh, two people go head to head pitching movie reboots. Uh, I pitched. For, I fought against friend of the show Alex Gibson, and the entire theme of that episode was decoms. And one of the movies we did was Phantom of the Megaplex, and uh, he pitched it coincidentally enough as a Muppets movie, and I pitched it as a Drew Goddard movie 
uh, kind of in the tone of bad times at the El Royale. And the rule I used was I took out Movie Mason, which was sad to do. But the rule was uh, use a character made famous by Leonardo DiCaprio. And I chose uh, his character of Rick Dalton from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like an older version of him so he could talk about his times in old Hollywood. And I said my movie was going to be a whodunit. And the entire episode, uh, Alex was fighting against me that the movie was a whodunit. And I was didn't even realize that that was something I was going to have to defend, was that this movie <laughs> was a whodunit when I thought it was very clearly a whodunit. So I'm glad that Tristan was able to agree with me and give me vindication that this movie was a whodunit. But it's a it's a good, solid, fun family movie in the fact that I've watched it when I was the last time I watched it I was like twelve and I enjoyed it then. It'd be better if they were seeing. Oh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh going back a little bit to Muppets on Mansion, are there songs in the ride? Because I, I've never ridden it and there, there is some- a song like the song that Darren Chris performs is essentially like the song from the ride. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, like, a song I, like, that I plays watching, over the ride. I figured Dancing in the Moonlight was not part of the ride, but uh <laughs> there there's a few songs throughout that I'm like, is this are these from the ride or is these original? But yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff from the ride within there. Like a lot of the rooms are, are represented in scenes, yeah. you yeah. know, and all right. Easter eggs in the yeah, music. I just didn't know. And then uh, finally, we have one last topic. Um, uh, a spooky one. It's not on the sidebar. Speaking of Halloween, uh, it was announced that uh, very recently that there, Disney Plus is in the works of doing a Agatha Harkness uh, WandaVision spinoff show, which I did not expect. Uh, but I love Catherine Hahn, who is who plays Agatha Harkness, and I think it could be a really fun show. Uh, even though I didn't like WandaVision, Agatha Harkness was not why I didn't like that show. She was one of definitely the high point of that show. I'm very intrigued uh, by what that show could be, especially because I expect her character to appear in uh, Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. But maybe if they're working on a spinoff show, maybe that's how they're going to wrap up her storyline and not have her appearance multiverse of madness or she could appear in multiverse of madness make her character even more prominent even more bigger put her in front of more eyes and then give her her disney plus show but tristan what are your thoughts on this uh news i'm looking forward to it i mentioned earlier that wandavision is up there for some of my favorite uh disney plus content so far and part of that was Catherine Hahn. i think everyone kind of unanimously liked her even people who weren't digging like the stylistic choices of wandavision were like oh but Catherine Hahn is like killing it in this you know <laughs> a lot of our mutual friends who aren't even marvel people were like oh Catherine Hahn and the wandavision is great and i'm like you watched wandavision and they're like oh yeah i watched it for Catherine Hahn." you know so i think this show is going to have a lot of eyes and a lot of audiences and wandavision had that where it captured kind of the zeitgeist and more so than i think any of the shows have where everyone was talking about wandavision and this can go for that potentially if they're able to capture that again it could be that big cultural phenomenon I also think it adds to Disney's building kind of budding horror uh, universe where they're having Moon Knight, they're having uh, a few Blade. of these Blade. Yeah, they're having this rising kind of dark universe that's coming up uh, along in their, their Marvel multi-universe type thing. And I know they're doing a Halloween special next year, so I could probably, I could see Agatha Harkness showing up in that as a way to kind of backdoor pilot her show in a, in a way. Maybe we see her show... After that special comes out, like it's like, oh, watch the special and then watch the premiere of the show or something like that. But 
I could see it being like at least she could. I, I could definitely see her showing up, especially now. I think she'll show up in that Halloween special. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else to add about this week in Disney Plus? No, it was a it was a good week. A lot to talk about, a lot to watch, and still stuff we didn't talk about. So it's a loaded week. You know, Disney Plus you'd think is only dropping like the Marvel Disney stuff, but I'm surprised stuff like Fauci stuff like. Muppets, even, I wouldn't have watched necessarily if we hadn't been covering it, so I'm having a good time on the show. Yeah, uh, every time I'm like, oh, we're about to hit a drought, they're like, oh, here's 20 documentaries. Figure it out. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I think that basically covers our episode for today. And uh, without further ado, goodbye. Hey, thank you for watching the Movie Changer. Our mics are muted and the thumbnails up so they won't see us for the rest of the episode. Nice.